Adventures in a Small World. Strangers in a Small World. Today I have a conversation with Michael Rossi. Michael is a young philosopher living in Ohio. During our conversation we go into his story and we talk about how he started college in ROTC and transitioned out of it. How he learned and grew through his experiences. And we touch on many different philosophies such as Stoicism. Um, we talk in, about Marcus Aurelius. We talk about Michael's favorite books and many other topics. This was a really fun conversation, and I got to ask some personal questions about philosophy to Michael, so I really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, wow. <laughs> That's <laughs> the hardest question to answer. <laughs> uh... Uh, just to get the kind of boring biographical details out of the way uh, first, um, I am a 23-year-old guy just living in Ohio right now uh, in between Cleveland and Akron. Um, I originally grew up outside of Pittsburgh in a rural town uh, called Freedom, PA, and uh Biggest thing that's been going on in my life recently has been uh, college. Um, studied philosophy and political science at George Washington University in Washington D.C. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to finish up at the moment. Uh, I've been having some difficult times the past few years. Um, ever since I decided to. Uh, migrate outside of ROTC, which I was doing at the beginning of college. Um, for those uh, who don't know what ROTC is, it's a, it's a program that the military has for uh, incoming college students to get their college degree and receive a commission as an officer uh, in the military um, after undergrad. And uh, I was a scholarship winner um, and pretty happy pretty much had my uh, college paid for, but I had a pretty big uh, existential crisis, like to call it existential crisis part two <laughs> uh, of my life. And uh, I made the decision to drop out of ROTC and pursue a philosophy degree. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That there's there's a lot to fill in yeah, between then and now. That's a great uh, great opening. Um, yeah. So were you going to school for philosophy while you were in the ROTC program? I uh, well, I was taking philosophy courses, but I wasn't a declared major. I was a declared uh, political science major, but I was I was aware that I was really interested in philosophy and had been for a long time and. I just didn't think it was feasible to declare as a philosophy major when I was in ROTC. Gotcha. So, yeah. so what made you leave ROTC if you want to go into it? Um, wow. Uh, that was a really difficult decision uh, that I made. Um, 
I have been interested in joining the military since uh, very young. I'd say probably <clears throat> sixth grade. Um, I, I became kind of infatuated with the idea, with ideas of like honor and, and justice. Um, and I thought that the military culture uh, or military culture was like the best place um, to live out those virtues. And um, I remember at the time my neighbor was telling me about uh, join, uh, applying to the military academies. And I was like, well, I could do that too. So I spent most of high school working towards that. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get into uh, military academy. Maybe kind of fortunately, <laughs> I probably would have sucked. Uh, <laughs> had I gone there, but uh, I instead got an ROTC scholarship to go to school in Washington, D.C., and yeah, I just, uh, I, I was a little bit nervous um, about joining because I knew that I needed my, my, some of my character traits needed greater disciplining, and uh, I, I knew my other weak spots um, and it's like all of those came, <laughs> became even more real, uh, when I started college. Um, and additionally to that, uh, I don't know, friction was created, um, just between me and other people and the ROTC group, um, I think resulting from a, a difference in, in personality types, uh, I didn't take myself too seriously, um, and that really cut against some people and their their style of being. And uh, yeah, I just had a I just had a hard time socializing because it felt like this kind of was like work talk all the time, twenty four seven. And I there were a few people that I tried to to be very real with, and and it, it was hard. Um, I mean, moreover, uh, I had some difficulties with, uh, anxiety and depression coming about sophomore year and those definitely influenced my decision to leave. I just was really, I don't know, I, I found myself really confused about how I got to where I was, um, in life. And I just had a lot of thoughts that I wanted to explore and I didn't think that ROTC would ever provide me the opportunity to explore those thoughts. And, and I was worried about post ROTC life and just kind of being rushed into, into a commitment with the military. And, and yeah, so those were some of the, the factors influencing my decision. Yeah. And I finally made the, 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 the choice choice to leave the beginning of my junior year. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it sounds like you made the decision back in sixth grade and that's, that's pretty young to be making a decision about what you're going to be doing with your life. Yeah. Yeah. It is very young. I was really proud of that fact too, for a lot of, um, a lot of my time in high school. I remember thinking that my peers didn't just seemed aimless and I felt really guided and yeah, I took a lot of pride in that. And, and I think to an extent I looked down upon other people because they were like, just kind of like, uh, wasting their time away on stuff like 
social media and Instagram or whatever. And I was just a, m- more guided, but um, <laughs> there's been a bit of a role reversal since, hmm. since uh, I left ROTC. Yeah, that's interesting. So you mentioned the people. Was it just the people's attitudes and the ideas and... I think the attitudes what were really rubbing me the wrong way. Um, I felt like, as I said earlier, I felt like a lot of people took themselves very seriously. And once they put the ROTC hat on, they just never really took it off. Yeah. So there was um, like no fun when that hat was on. It was all strictly business. Yeah, strict. Yeah, like a lot of just business, <laughs> and just like the I don't know. There was like a weird kind of competitiveness, and and I, I I had like considered myself competitive before, but not about the sort of things that they were competitive about, and I just had a hard time embedding myself in that. Um, I think there were like other periphery factors <laughs> influencing it too. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I've shied away from telling a lot of people these cause I, I think they're kind of shallow when I, when I look at them, but I think around sometime at the beginning of sophomore year, I remember thinking like, damn, you know, I have never had a girlfriend before and I've like really wanted one for a long time and I've been trying for that. And if I spend more time in the military, there is going to be a really good chance that I'm like meet someone in, in the military. Uh, and there's something about getting involved with someone in the military. It's kind of like a joke among people in, in the military. It's just, it it doesn't it doesn't always work out very well. Okay, okay. I don't yeah. know what the joke is. So it's just that it's not a good compatibility kind of thing. It's it's not all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just didn't want that sort of seriousness too in my relationship. Mm. And I think that you invite that in when you're into a relationship when you're um, when you marry someone in the military. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. You're doing the same work at home and to and at work that's kind of tough yeah yeah so Um, have you had um any luck since leaving rotc uh i haven't had luck with any long-term relationships um there have been flings of sorts but nothing really long-term um and, and it was actually around the time that I was thinking about leaving that I had some uh, pursuits just kind of like uh, go awry. Um, there was a girl that I met that was the first girl that I ever thought, oh, man, this could like turn into something serious. And as soon as I tried to do that, uh, she like dropped a, this kind of bombshell on me and told me that she had broken up with um, – with her like first boyfriend a few months prior and she wasn't really sure what she wanted to do. And like, 
just there was an immediate change in, in tone um, after that conversation. And I just knew that it something had something big had changed and it wasn't much longer that we were talking and I like saw her one other time after that and uh, never saw her again. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you're still young, 23. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. So was um, going to DC your first time like living outside of your parents' house? Um, so I've had a two, um, I've had to go to, to, um, my dad's house, um, ever since I was really young. So I've been used to going to a different home. Um, or I had been when I went off to college, uh, I I would go to my dad's house every other weekend growing up. And, uh, he was actually living in Ohio while we were in Pittsburgh. Um, and yeah, I got used to that and I actually was really happy about going to Washington because I thought that it was an escape from that routine. Did you like having the independence of living on your own? Yes. Yeah. I, I did like that. Um, I didn't like that I was really far away from anybody that I knew, um, Initially, that seemed all right, but then when I got to school and um, the the pressures of socialization uh, hit me, I was like, God damn, I really wish I had someone here that I knew well enough and that like I could kind of like jointly uh, like we could jointly go about making friends. Uh, so you went to so I didn't, uh, yeah, yeah went to school I didn't have alone, that. kind of. No, you didn't know anybody yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that must have been tough. Yeah, it was rough. Um, I had a hard time making friends the first uh, two years or so. Um, it wasn't until junior year that I made a really good friend. Do you think that was because you were in ROTC? Um. ROTC made it hard to do a lot of socializing. Um, I couldn't stay out late on weeknights um, because I would have to get up at 5 a.m. Um, and, and like three times a week. Mm. Um, my freshman and sophomore years were pretty devoted to studying too. Um, I was spending really late nights in the library, um, sometimes sleeping over in the library. Um, yeah, the, the freedom that I had was a little bit too much for me. And I think I, I remember like the first week already kind of like fucking up my schedule and, uh, having to do pull an all nighter. Um, yeah, I just didn't go in super organized. (laughs) Yeah, that happens happened to me at least (laughs) it's crazy you go from you know i don't know high school at home and then you go off to college on your own it's like a whole different world right yeah i mean i never realized how um like how embedded the school routine had been in me 
um, till I went off to college. I mean, it's high school is different than uh, the years prior, but there's still that familiarity to it with the length of the school day and like who you're seeing every day. And yeah, when I went off to college, that was like all gone. The, the, the sense of freedom was a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. What did you find you were doing with all the, the free time? Um, my freshman year, I watched a lot of Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I remember watching like the whole, this whole series on Netflix, probably second semester. It was called the killing. Um, definitely recommend watching it. Really good, really good show. Um, check it out. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like when, (laughs) After after you asked that question, I got a sense that like wow my my memories from freshman year feel really like foggy. Um, like there's just like blank spots in my head about how things happened. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would say that a lot of a lot of the time I I spent with my roommates and trying to get to know them. And um, going to social events with them. Um, my one roommate and I, um, his name was Louise. We like we were kind of always the odd ones out in, in um, socializing, uh, primarily because two of the other roommates were in fraternities, so they were always being dragged off to fraternity events, and then the other roommate was in um uh was in uh ulti- uh an ultimate frisbee club so louise and i were just like always left to our lonesome and we just kind of we would just go out and explore dc and go to like try to find we we spent a good amount of time trying to find uh nightclubs that would let 18 year olds in (laughs) sure and that was actually a lot easier than i thought it would be yeah that's surprising so yeah there (laughs) the memories might come back as we speak but i think the the first year or so i spent a lot of time trying to just mingle with people uh, and tried to join a few things uh, some of my commitments didn't stick and I ended up realizing that I needed a lot more time to study than, yeah. than I had initially thought I would. Yep. I hear you. So that was freshman year, sophomore yeah. year, you're still in ROTC kind of doing the same stuff. And then what was it? Summer moving into junior year, you decided to make the change. Yeah. It, um, there, I had been in talks with uh, um, people who were in charge of the ROTC program about leaving, and I wasn't confident um, about my choice uh, enough to make a decision at the end of sophomore year. Um, I just uh, there's a lot of money on the table, and there were going to be a lot of ramifications, um, about leaving. Um, and I needed that summer to, to kind of 
figure, figure it out. Um, I also had um, to, to give a little bit of a con of context um, that second semester of sophomore year had been a really difficult semester. Um, I started to get pretty depressed um, right after uh, right after the um, end of the first semester. Um, and I went home pretty bummed out um, and unsure about ROTC um, and unsure about my place in it. And uh, yeah, I don't know what follows is pretty bad. was pretty bad. I, I, I got, I started to uh, like look up stuff on the internet about uh, anxiety and depression. And I sort of went down a rabbit hole uh, just having clicked too many links and read too many articles. And I thought that uh, for a good period of that second semester, I thought I was like losing my mind. Um, I just could not control my thoughts. Um, I mean, it didn't help that I wasn't, I was barely getting any sleep um, as it, as it was. And I would wake up like super early in the morning with thoughts just like racing all over and I would do poorly and, and, in the morning workouts and then I would miss, I missed a few classes, ROTC classes, um, and gotten some trouble for that. And yeah, I, I just was in a really bad place. So I, my grade slipped quite, um, uh, quite a bit. Um, and the ROTC people were aware of that and they were re reassessing my scholarship and so that that was all kind of working in my mind when I made that uh, when I made that decision. Sure. How did you get yourself out of that state? Um, you know what? I don't think I've ever. I, I don't think I've um, really worked myself out of that state. Um, things have gotten better. Uh, I'd like to suppose that um, some of it's been through some of the therapy that I've done. Um. Some of it's also just being around familiar people and slowing down a bit um, and being back home. And, and I think leaving ROTC also helped. Um, there was just, a, I felt like a tremendous amount of pressure on me. Um, yeah. I think uh, when I, I, I kind of, it, 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 it faded, some of that faded from mine too when I got, uh, into some of the philosophy that I had been studying and I really just dug into that and, and really enjoyed myself and met like a really cool friend. And, uh, but I, I, I wouldn't say that it's gone away. Um, it's, it's different than what it was before. It's not like keeping me in bed all day and like leaving me like, I don't know, just like unable to move, um, physically or mentally but I see. <laughs> yeah i mean it, it got it was bad yeah it's tough but it's good to good to hear you're doing better right oh thanks yeah uh, you mentioned therapy uh, i guess how did that go do you just go in and kind of talk to someone and tell them did you like it do you think it was valuable 
I, um, I've done a few different therapies. Um, I'm actually seeing, um, a guy right now who does, uh, psychoanalysis, which I don't know if you know anything about Freud. I know the name, but okay. Explain. So I, it's kind of like, um, he, he practices an offshoot of Freudian psychoanalysis. It's called Lacanian psychoanalysis. Um, but, uh, I guess to characterize it really briefly, um, they, they just, uh, the, those kind of therapists let the patient do all of the talking, um, and they encourage the patient to just go straight stream of consciousness and not worry too much about like the coherence of what they're saying, whether any of it's truth truthful or not just spill out all of your ideas in your head and um while you're doing that they'll make observations and ask questions um when they i think they do that kind of when they see their repeated patterns of symbols or imagery um they're they're trying to like get underneath all of the ego that you put out and, and see what's like, what's really causing you psychological damage. Um, so yeah, that's the one that I'm in right now. Um, how are you like, uh, it's slow going. Um, it's been slow going with the person that I've, uh, been seeing recently. He is, also from Ohio, but he's like 50 minutes away from me. And he and I just talk over the phone primarily. Um, I was trying to see someone that's closer to where I live, but I was having a hard time um, because the health insurance that I have um, really limits the, um, the, the people that I can see. Um, and it was just super weird that I couldn't see people that were in my hometown who, this is like strange, but if you have parents who are doctors, um, you, you can get insurance through like the health organization that they work for. And my dad happens to work for a health organization in the area. So I I carry his insurance and a lot of the providers near me um, also take that insurance, but they don't take the employee form of the insurance. Oh. So I had to resort to this guy who is um, a friend of a therapist that I had been seeing in DC. I see. That's and he, he and I have like a private deal kind of like worked out. Um, which is something you can do with someone who's uh, who does psychoanalysis since it's not like uh, it's not like going to see a doctor or like a, a therapist at a hospital. So there's different kinds of uh, protocols or yeah, I guess is it yeah. called a protocol? I don't know. I mean, I, I would say, yeah, there's different, um, there are different rules. <laughs> I would, sure, sure. It's easy enough to sum it up like that. There are different rules that the therapists have to abide by and the psychoanalysis is like very 
it it runs pretty much independently the like um union the union of psychoanalysts runs different runs independently of say like the american psychiatric organization how often do you have conversations oh he and i speak once a week um and i've met him once in person oh nice uh yeah, he actually <laughs> he um, he practices in what's called uh, Amish country, um, which is like an hour south of where I live. And the name, uh, um, the meaning is implied by the name. It's like a place where Amish people live. Oh, okay. Simple. Yeah, yeah it's very simple. It's uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a very simple place too. Um, and there's just this, his office is this very modern looking building in the middle of, um, you know, this rural landscape. It's kind of, it's, it's pretty funny. Have you ever done any other interesting therapies? Um, I've done the really standard therapy, the cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what a lot of people do. And that's just... And you go to see a CBT therapist and you tell them what's what's going on and they ask you like, oh, why do you think that? And then you say like, well, I think that about this thing X that's going on because blah, blah, blah. And then they try to get you to like challenge your thoughts on that. Like, is that really, you know, the, the most rational thought on the matter? Like, did you think differently about it? And they try to get you to label your your beliefs um, it's almost like a English teacher in, in high school trying to get you to see the fallacies in like some piece of writing. Um, they give you these, these rap, they give you these labels for your beliefs, um, or for your thinking. And you're supposed to like apply the labels to your thinking. And when you have the labels to your thinking, then you can like change your thought patterns. And if you change your thought patterns, uh, the thought is that you're able to affect your emotions or your perceptions, um, and then eventually alleviate, you know, your feelings of anxiety or depression. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually, um, philosophically influenced by, uh, stoicism, which has been having a popular revival. Yeah. I've been seeing Um, a lot of stuff on that lately. Yeah. You're a philosophy major. Is this kind of the field you're thinking of going into, or where do you want to go with this? I'd prefer to teach oh. it. Okay. Um, I I could see myself doing research, um, but I think the environment I'm the happiest in um, whilst doing philosophy is uh, teaching. Um, I really enjoyed leading the philosophy club at GW when I um, – when I was president, um, the discussions that we had were some of my favorite, like philosophy discussions. Um, but yeah, I research is um, research is a pretty lonely job. <laughs> have you have you done um, any teaching? I haven't done any formal teaching yet. No. Uh, well, actually, that's kind of a lie. I. I stepped in for a professor that I know in this area. Um, he teaches at a, a 
university called Kent State. And you've heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. So I ran into him um, while I was at, uh, at work and he was just eating something and reading. And I like went over to him and I was like, do you happen to teach philosophy? And from there, he and I just had a conversation about philosophy. Um, and as I learned, he was teaching um, a class on existentialism um, at Kent. And he, I was telling him about how I led the philosophy club at GW and um, how I gave lectures. And I joked around about like, oh, like, yeah, could I come to your class and <laughs> maybe lead a lecture? And he was like, yeah actually could do that wow so then i i led a lecture on um on uh theodore dostoevsky's um book the brothers karamazov and his uh like thursday night class was you nervous going into that how did you uh get the confidence to go and teach that lecture i was a little bit nervous i've i've um I've presented in front of professors before um, and felt pretty all right. Um, this one was a little bit different. I was a little bit rusty. Um, I, I, I mean, he did get a sense that I was pretty well versed in the topic um, from just our conversation or our initial conversation and then a follow-up conversation, but um, I was more nervous because I was trying to, in that lecture, I was trying to, um, I had like a thesis that I wanted to, to um, put forward, and I was a little bit nervous about putting forward that thesis because of his um, exper expertise in the topic. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, that was like one of the, one of the, the, the main things, but other than that, I was just really comfortable, um, leading the discussion and dialoguing with the students. That's something that I, for whatever reason, like sometimes talking to individuals makes me a little bit more nervous than talking to groups. That's interesting. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> That that sounds like a really good opportunity, though. That's really cool, and just yeah, even just was. going up and talking to that professor and saying, "Hey, is something available? What's going on?" That's that's awesome. Yeah, it was a really random happen happening. Just I I felt actually really strange about going up to him and pointing out like, "Oh, is that you know fluffy and." I almost didn't do it. I, like I was totally gonna walk away and be like, "All right, like, yeah, yeah." Something told you that you gotta go out. talk to him. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was a struggle for like a like a second or two with myself. Do you um, find it easy to take action on things like that? No, I don't. I I will. So like, um, I work at a Panera and I will walk around in the dining room looking to like collect dishes and stuff. And I'll see people in the dining room that look like they're doing like really interesting things, reading really interesting books. And 
Um, I will like cycle cycle through lines of dialogue for like 10, 15 minutes before I decide to like say something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I kind of know that feeling. It's hard. (laughs) Actually, my freshman year, I, I, uh, I pulled off like my boldest attempt. Um, I was working at this particular spot in the library for a few weeks and there was this girl that was sitting like across from me and she had been consistently sitting across from me um, since the time I, I started. So I was like, why not just start up a conversation with her? And it took me probably like three, like, I don't know, like three or four days to work up the courage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and while we were sitting there, I like wrote her a note and I was like, Hey, I've noticed you like, you've been here. And like, I thought I'd say hello. And I like slid the note, <laughs> I slid the note across the table to her. And then she like looked at it and she like smiled. And then she like sent it back across with like, Oh, what's up? And then I like asked her out to Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> And I like, everything was going like really well. I was like, yeah, wow, that that's went awesome. way better than I thought. <laughs> and then it turned out that she was a senior. Oh shit. <laughs> and I was like, oh she I was like, I think I would I was like, oh, how old are you? And she was like, Oh, I'm like twenty three. And I was like, Oh <laughs> <laughs> she could like see it right yeah, on my yeah. face. <laughs> like the this shock and I was <laughs> I and I couldn't lie like I just couldn't lie at the Yeah, no, no. <laughs> At that point in time, that's fire, man. Yeah, I pulled off a few other moves like that freshman year. It it was I was really trying to get out of my comfort zone, and most of those like just blew apart (laughs) really quick. You gotta gotta keep trying. That's what it all it is. That's all it is. I like kept trying with her after she realized that I was a freshman. (laughs) Like I was like trying to play off my maturity. I was like, oh, but you know, like after we finished talking, like. I just feel a lot like different than my peers. And she's like, yeah, you seem a lot more mature than your peers. And yeah, it didn't, that yeah. didn't really help me. She seemed like, like she had friend zoned me like immediately. Yeah. When she, <laughs> I was a freshman. <laughs> well, it is, it's different too, right? Like she's going to bars and stuff and you can't go yet. So it's like, yeah, you're in yeah. two different worlds at that point, but that's pretty yeah. funny. That's a good story. Yeah, you mentioned books a couple of times. Any favorite books? Book. Ah, uh, favorite books within a genre or just across all genres? Any genre. Best. All book. right. Um. Hmm. Can I get my top five? Go for it. So, in philosophy, I really like uh, this book written by a. Um, German philosopher whose name is uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein. Um, it's called the Tractatus Philosophicus. Uh, well, no, 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 I got it wrong. Tractatus Logico Philosophicus. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a, a bit of a mouthful. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Does it read like that? <laughs> what? Does it? Um, no, okay. it's actually. Um, it he the whole book is written in propositional style so he'll like state something and state it very precisely and it has like a number by the statement and 
there is a logic uh, to the numbering. Um, it's it's actually a very strange book to read um, because it reads kind of like a math textbook. Oh, but then every once in a while he like th- throws in these really uh, just opaque statements about religion or whatever. <laughs> That's cool. He's a uh, he's a pretty he's a pretty weird guy. Uh, or he was a pretty weird guy. Um, is that a specific type of philosophy that he is um, writing about there? Um, so he was writing, he was basically creating the logic that's used now. Um, it's called propositional logic. Um, so if you took a logic course in your in any of your uh, college classes then you learned the logical language um that he created okay i didn't take yeah. any logic courses but i guess i could imagine what it would be like yeah so it's pretty cut and dry um but he belonged to a group of philosophers um who were in England and Austria and Germany, and they were called the logical positivists. Um, and one of the things, one of their goals was to just prevent, was to like end all obscure philosophy and set the, set the limits on what was good philosophy and, and what philosophy, what good philosophy could do. Um, and that's what he, he goes about doing that in that, in that book. Um, and there's like a really memorable passage at the end of the book, um, or, or like statement where he says, like, I think it's the last statement of the book. He goes like, where, like, whereof one cannot, uh, speak, one should not say anything at all. Um, Mm. Yeah. So, and and it's, yeah. people read that like, as like a command, like an like this is how to be ethical um, in speaking command. But it's also about like how to be a good philosopher or or a state like a positive statement of like if you don't have a concept for something, then you can't say anything about that thing at right. all. It's like that old saying. What is it? Nothing nice to say. Don't say anything at all. That's what I yeah. thought of. <laughs> It is kind of like that, uh, ex- except he actually thinks that like when people talk about things like, um, oh, like this kind of action is good and this kind of action, like uh, this is the the action you ought to be doing. He doesn't think that there are like any facts in that writing. He he um, he he didn't think that there were any facts about that in the world, like ethical statements don't aren't derived from the way from the way that the world is it's derived from something about us and our our way of thinking something about humans yeah it's something about humans and their and the way that they regard the world but he doesn't he doesn't think that philosophy proper can say anything about what people should be doing with their lives. 
which is ironic because that's what a lot of people have turned to philosophy for, for wisdom on how they should be living. Right. That's what Socrates was trying to, to do. Yeah. So he has kind of a different view than the standard philosopher, I'd say. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the philosophizing that's been going on um, in the 20th and 21st century has its roots in the um, philosophy that he was doing, but not a lot of people agree with his some of the core ideas that he had in mind. I mean, he even disagreed later on. Before he died, he wrote a book where he talked about his the ideas in, in that prior book and he actually kind of re- it's funny he refers to himself in the third person in that oh, wow. <laughs> other book yeah he's like the author of the tractatus said this <laughs> and, <laughs> and cool. uh he yeah and then he just goes on a whole line of disagreement about why that he's saying like that thought is wrong because words aren't as simple as i thought they were and over but um, yeah, it's it's cool. He was able to, um, you know, disagree with what he had said in the past. I feel like sometimes yeah, you don't see. Yeah, it. yeah. I mean that that was. I think that's especially hard because that book that he wrote was his dissertation. Oh wow. Yeah, and then it was used by a lot of famous philosophers. Um, I mean, it was it was the basis for the propositional logic and he just totally threw it in the garbage uh (laughs) in his later book yeah his mentor who's a famous dude bertrand russell was like i don't understand why wittgenstein is doing this like like i just think he's like gone off the deep end (laughs) (laughs) wow Okay, that book sounds pretty interesting. Gonna have to check it out. Yeah. Well, you read it. Yeah, Tatus Logico Philosophicus. Okay. If you read it, um, you'll probably not understand what's going on. And that's okay because most people who read it um, to start and maybe even like after like the 10th time of reading it don't know what's going on entirely. And that's a funny thing. He like makes a remark about that at the end of the book. He goes like, uh, he says something like, "If if you've understood what I've said here thus far, then you'll realize that this book is full of nonsense." <laughs> wow. That's yeah. Cool. So he he's really he's really witty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Any other books? Uh, I really. So I really liked Lord of the Rings when I was growing up um, and books like Lord of the Rings. Um, I ha- I can't remember if I've read the whole Lord of the Rings all the way through. I remember listening to it on audiobooks, so I feel like that doesn't count. Um, eh, but close. Yeah, it's, yeah I mean, there's like the, that – there's that uh, the labor of moving your eyes over the page that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> counts for something. Yeah, it really counts for something. But um, actually, there was a there was a book series a lot like it, and I don't think a lot of people have read this book series. But it was called the uh, it's called the Chronicles of Prindane. And um, if you've ever 
seen um there's like a disney movie called the black cauldron it's like an animated movie i don't know if you've ever heard of that or seen it It sounds familiar but i can't i don't think i've seen it obscure movie made in like the early no mid mid to late 90s um yeah and it's a it's a movie that's based off one of the books in that series and if you look it up like some it has some similarities like in the plot structure to lord of the rings um it's about this it's it's kind of it's actually kind of strange. Uh, it's about this dude who's a um, who starts off as a, a pig keeper for this guy who's like a mystic, and the the guy who's a mystic uses the pig to like tell uh, or to like prophesy about important events, and like one day the like pig gives this like really um apocalyptic uh prophecy about this like dark lord like just wrecking the land and um and then what happens after that but the like guy who's the central character of the whole series has to like go off and like deliver the pig to like someone else and or deliver the fortune i can't remember and then he eventually gets dragged into this like war that's going on and he discovers that like he's not just uh he's not just an orphan with nobody parents his parents were actually like very in this um in like uh this king's army and then he like joins a king and then like ends up slaying like the lord dude um so it's kind of it's kind of like lord of the rings it's kind of like uh like a lot of the buildings ramon that Hmm. exist out there but i liked it i think i i like really i there was like the first book series that i discovered on my own and that i really remember just having like really vivid imagery while I was reading it and, and just be totally sucked in. Do you know, remember when you read like how old? Oh, you know what? I've read it like a few times. I've read um, some of the books a few times over. So I read it initially when I was in, um, in elementary school, probably in like third grade. Mm. And I remember like thinking like, wow, this is like big deal because this is a, this is like an advanced for book. Uh, and then I read it again in like fifth grade or not fifth grade. I read it again in like eighth grade. Cause I wanted to do a book project on it because I knew it well enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I read it again in high school because I was like, ah, like this is the, like, the end of high school. And I kind of want to like revisit. Yeah. Good memories. And, That's cool. um, I think each time I read, I, I didn't reread the whole series, but I reread like the my favorite book in the series, and just remember feeling like each time feeling like the weight of the ending of the book. Wow! Did you find yeah. when you read it at those different points, like there was a different meaning in there, or um, 
Well, I remember thinking like, wow, this is a lot easier to read than it was uh, when I was younger. Um, remember, I kind of remember the characters being a little bit more, a little goofier than I like uh, had thought about it initially. Uh, they, I guess like, I don't know if it was my like childhood mind kind of filling in a lot of the details of my imagination, but they just seemed a little less like they had less depth when I went back. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other than that, I, I, I read the Chronicles of Narnia and I really enjoyed that too. Mm. Yeah. Those are good. Okay. Cool. Cool book recommendations. I like it. Best books. Um, if so, you mentioned also wanting to be a professor or a teacher of philosophy. If yes. someone came to you and said, "Hey, Michael, um, we want you to teach a class on anything you want," um, what class look like? Or like, what what would you hope that the kids got out of it? I guess um, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about philosophy thus far has been the has been the dialectical component to it um just being able to sit with an idea or ideas uh say like a, an idea presented in an argument and just pick apart the idea um and sort of dialogue with it in a way um, and that's always more fun when you're with other people doing that and just speculating pretty wildly um, about what the idea could mean um, or speculating on like possible objections to the idea. I think you get a little bit wiser when you do that <laughs> um, and, and you're able to come at other ideas that people present to you from different perspectives. Um, and I think that's, that's something that um, if I were a teacher, I would want my students to be able to do um, is be able to come at some uh, idea that someone takes for granted um, from a pretty complicated set of perspectives. Um, and that, I think is useful because and it helps reveal to it helps reveal like just how complicated it is to say the things that we say um, and all the things that you could say the foundation underneath the things that we say or think about the world. Um, it, it really gives you, you, you realize how much you've taken for granted, how much you, you just don't realize that in the most basic things that you do in your daily living, like what sophisticated stuff is going on there um, mentally, um, philosophically. So you really come to respect some simple things in life and you come to respect um, sophisticated thinking. Um, and, and you're like, wow, wow. That sort of thinking is actually really hard to do because of everything that you have to, to understand beforehand. So 
Yeah, I, I think to sum it up, just per, I would like to give them perspective um, and respect for ideas. Perspective on ideas and respect for ideas. Nice. I like it. Good answer. Yeah. But uh, part of that, <laughs> the, uh, the, the perspective part is what makes philosophers to deal with in, in uh, practical affairs because they're like, well, you know what? There are multiple perspectives on this and here they are. And then the, the person they're talking to goes, but like, what do you think? And they're like, well, I think that some of these perspectives are good, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really hard to choose. Um, that's yeah. pretty. You hear that a lot. There's kind of it's kind of hard. There's some line somewhere, but usually people see their perspective, and that's it, right? So yeah, that's the middle yeah. road there. When you start challenging a lot of those, a lot of your perspectives, um, and this is my own like speaking from my own personal experience, but. When, when I've started to challenge a lot of perspectives, it actually kind of makes living a little bit harder because you're a little bit, you're a little more careful with your words. Um, you're, you become observant and analytical about your own thought process. So there, there's a downside to it. Um, it makes it just hard to be as you are, um, especially if you're really interested in it. So you're like, wow, what's, what is this little, you know, window uh, what insight can I get from this little window into who I am? And, and like, what does it say about everything else I've done beforehand? And that's at least like my thinking sometimes. Yeah. So it's hard to, it's hard to like chill out. You start to <laughs> analyze like, everything. Yeah. Yeah. This is it's probably like, it's hard to be like, this is probably meaningless in the like context of everything else you've, you've said or done before. But then there's always that little voice in me that's like, no, no, that's just that's just a rationalization. <laughs> yeah, so conflict is rife in my my uh, my inner life. I'm like, God, I can't agree with myself on <laughs> anything. Um, you you talked about uh, taking things for granted, and um, sometimes I don't know personally. I think like I find it hard to be like thankful for the position I'm in. And like I'm always thinking about what's next. Oh, I need something more. I don't know if this is a philosophy question, but I'm gonna ask you anyway. Do you find any philosophies or anything that can help with that? Yeah, there are a few in, that I have in mind. Um, so I think the one that a lot of people think of um, that a lot of people would think of pretty pretty quickly when it comes to your concern like being grateful and being sort of would you say like you'd rather be more um, you'd be all right you, you'd rather be like more accepting of your present moment yeah yeah i guess like instead okay. of always thinking oh uh, i need to go make more money i gotta go do something right. better, get a bigger house, right. whatever. Stoicism is the popular um, philosophy that people reference um, when when others are looking for relief from those sorts of 
tensions in their life. Like, man, like the sort of tension that you're mentioning, man, like, I just want to, I just want to get to the future. Like I'm anxious about like this next event, like that's in the past, like, give me this now. Um, and like, then like in the, in the lead up to like, whatever you're like looking forward to, you're like anxious and nervous. Like, what if it doesn't turn out? All right. Like what, what, you know, thinking of, um, your, your plan A, B's and C's. Yeah. So Stoic, the Stoics attempt to deal with that. Um, and the most famous work, um, and I'd say it's pretty readable for the average person, is um, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Interesting. Yeah, he was a Roman emperor. Yeah, I know the um, name, Marcus Aurelius. Okay. Yeah, if you've ever seen Gladiator. Yep. Uh, okay. He's the old emperor at the beginning that gets killed. Sure. Um. So he wrote over, over over the course of uh, I think like a decade or so he wrote um his thoughts on life and um a lot of those thoughts are derived from his philosophical background and he was trained um by I forget who it was but by a stoic philosopher to, to be of that stoic mindset. Um, so he, he'll describe like, Hey, you know, like I'm the emperor. And when someone wrongs me on the daily, I should probably like, like people would expect that I would try to uphold my position and like cut the dude's head off. Something (laughs) I'm exaggerating, but, but, uh, but, I'm going to just do like look at this as an opportunity to improve myself and to take um, what life is presenting um, me uh, and and attempt to see the bigger picture in that. So yeah, he's always trying to like look at the bigger picture in all of these moments and trying to diminish his own perspective on that particular thing that's going on um in his in his present Mm. so it's all about letting things happen uh letting letting uh events just go as they do sure do you think Um, in that book do you think there are actionable items like read it and be like okay i can i can implement this or yeah, he gives you tips on on meditation. Okay. On like, these are the things that you should be meditating on. So if someone wrongs you throughout the day, then you just imagine yourself being wronged by that person. And if you responded, if the first time you were um, in that situation you responded poorly, you like keep imagining yourself responding a little less poorly with more acceptance of it like just just letting it letting things go um yeah so that's that's some of the actionable stuff uh he also i mean if you kind of like buy into the the metaphysics that's stuff that you meditate on to try to like get that grander picture of the cosmos and your small place in it and to realize then that your desires are just 
really pitiful in the in the face of all of that and that you know like the more you try to control all of those events the more you're you're just gonna feel pretty bent out of shape sure um so yeah so that's like an active thing to kind of like actively remind yourself ah there's a whole universe out there and it's a lot bigger than i am and that's kind of the those are two things that I think that are like immediately very practical, like very active. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. But don't know if they're entirely good though. I think yeah. there's kind of, there's, um, there are downsides to entertaining those ideas too much. Yeah. I can see the, um, you know, the big picture universe thing kind of, can you feel like sad? <laughs> sad is a great way to put it. Just like, yeah. Or deflated. You're like, what's yeah. the point? It's like, what am what am I even? Like, I'm nothing. But <laughs> if you've uh, have you ever seen uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know the robot that uh, yeah, yeah. they have on the spaceship, and like every time he like goes to do something, he's like, oh, here we go again. Yep. And I think that's how like. I, I, I've done a little meaning with stoicism and trying to like get a proper perspective on myself with respects to the rest of existence. And you kind of feel that way. Like, (laughs) ah, fuck. Like this is just pointless. This is, this is making a difference. Like why, why even bother? So that's the criticism that is often uh, given to Stoicism by thinkers like Nietzsche or uh, even like modern thinkers will will like not they won't criticize Stoicism and I wouldn't say thinkers but like um, I've read a few articles recently like in in popular newspaper um, magazines like the Atlantic where they criticize the stoic attitudes that men have that you or the the stoicism that you find in classic masculinity and uh, basically they're criticizing that like I am too they're criticizing that view that some men take, like, why do we have to flip out about this? It's like irrational. And why are we being so driven by our emotions? That's dumb. Let's just chill and like not care about ills around us. Hmm. So that's a, uh, that's one of the criticisms sure. that fine. Makes sense. Do you find that you practice any particular philosophies in your life um it's it's very hard um especially because practicing a philosophy like practicing a system a philosophical system really can circumscribe you um, and make you very rigid and um, in your thinking and your acting. And at this point, I'm like, wow, I, I don't want to be at that point where I just accept things as um, 
as as being granted. Um, so I would say one that I I try to to follow is most is the one that I think is the most flexible and incorporates other um, systems or other systems can um, incorporate it into it. Um, and that's Aristotle's virtue ethics. Um, okay. And, and that's more like a mindset than it is uh, like system with prescribed rules. Okay. Um, yeah, so you know, like really simple, really simply Aristotle that, um, we, we all, we as human beings all have character and our character is composed of a bunch of different virtues. Um, bravery is one of them. Um, uh, it's just, they're all very situational. So honesty, bravery, um, prudence. Uh, so virtue, virtues like that, and each one of those virtues is um to be understood in terms of how it applies in a given situation or a given context context so what might be brave in one moment is like overly brave in another moment or another context so aristotle wants you to think like okay i've kind of gotten an idea of what bravery is after having acted bravely bravely but that doesn't mean i'm super wise um about bravery because there are so many different situations where I could act brave, but that would require just slightly different kind of action, a slightly different um, instantiation of bravery. So he's like always trying to challenge people to think like very, um, to think kind of uh, situationally about their actions and to not just settle on like one kind of one kind of action, one way of being. So that's something that I I've tried to do. Um, and that, I mean, it's hard because if you're just judging yourself, Oh, that was brave. You're all, and it's kind of, you're always going to be favorable to yourself, sure. give yourself the benefit of doubt. So that requires that you be in like a dialectical where you be what you're you're with someone in a situation that requires you to act and you say like hey like you know do you think like that was right for me to do was that like a brave i'm kind of focusing way too much on bravery here yeah, but, but like you're making the point you know was i being like too, uh like if um this is one that i like a vice you could say that i had earlier in life um i would um, so like if I were going for, um, uh, if I were going for a job and was getting interviewed, I would just be like super forthcoming about like, oh yeah, I have to go to school and then, you know, like a few months and, 
you know, here are all my thoughts on the letters. And I was just too forthcoming, too honest about myself. And that was probably an excess of honesty. I felt like I had to tell my whole life story mm. to them. And I probably could have been a little bit more um, prudential in my telling about myself and realized that, oh, yeah, I don't have to tell everything about myself. I can I can hold some things back. And that's not that's not just dishonest. Right. So that's the kind of thing like you have to have feedback from someone else. Either like direct feedback or, you know, oh, wow, they're not liking me. Maybe I maybe it's something that I'm doing or saying. And then you start to reflect and think about, oh, yeah, I'm on honest and that's a good thing. But maybe it's a bit too much. Hmm. How do you make that distinction? Was it uh, somebody told you or was it a internal um, I've always had a penchant for being overly honest. Um, I have pretty, I have a pretty demanding mother <laughs> and my mom would be very demanding, um, of me to tell like everything about something that she was asking about mm. just to tell the whole story. Um, and I got used to doing that with other people and um, I had a few like unfortunate situations with girls where I would get to meet a girl and it seemed like everything would be going all right. But like, I would just say a lot about myself, a lot of share, a lot of deep stuff about myself kind of at the get go. And I, kept falling um, flat on my face with these pursuits. And like, I knew that it was because I was, I had the awareness that it was, that it was too intense. And that wasn't even something that other people had to tell me. I just understood that, but I felt like really, and I still kind of feel this way. Like, ah, like I just want to be myself. Right. And, not have to put all these limits and but when i started putting a little bit more uh putting limits and on on uh, what i would share or how how i would share things um i started to realize oh yeah wow things are going better um i think so i i was just really impatient to get everything out um uh, because i just wanted things to get going and I thought, well, yeah, like initially I was like, oh, I should just be on ever. And I, and I wasn't like, I wasn't acknowledging this deep impatience that I had. So I actually think that like, yeah, there's nothing. Now I'm thinking like, oh, there's nothing wrong with kind of like telling the story in an episodic way rather than in a like uh, kind of straight kind of blast. Sure. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do like the Netflix series. You don't need to go straight to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I don't know. I would just get nervous about forgetting to say this thing about myself or forgetting to ask this question to, to her. I would just be like really um, apprehensive about that. And when I kind of decided to just slow things down, ask more questions to the, than than make more than making more statements. That's when I started to 
you know, find more success. You're definitely learning a lot about yourself and taking notes and changing things. And I think a lot of people don't do that, right? So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I think the hard part um, about changing yourself is that – and I, I come to face this like every day. When you want to change yourself and how you act in situations, you – you're you're already setting parameters um, with regards to those future situations or contexts, and you might already be shorting yourself or shorting someone else and setting those standards before you even get there. So I try to just like that I see you. Um, before we started where you were like, Oh, do you, you know, like, do you want to say anything in particular? I'm like, no, like I'll just let it come out as it is. Um, I try to do that a lot more in conversations. I started doing that, um, in response to being like really disappointed by how certain conversations would go. I would have like all ideas about what I wanted to say or ask. And I would like, if I knew I had a conversation like, um, like a week from now, I would like just be thinking like through everything I wanted to say. And then I would get to the conversation and it would go in any way that I had expected it to go. And then I would just, once it would end, I would be like, oh, fuck, like it would be really hard on myself. Like, why didn't you say that? Why couldn't you do that? And I wasn't enjoying, I wasn't enjoying anything with conversation. I was just really getting bent out of shape out of things that I had thought way too much into and overdetermined way beforehand. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Now I, now I see why you sent that message. That's, I like yeah. that. It doesn't stop me from doing it though. I, yeah. After I sent that message, I started to like think about things I wanted to say. <laughs> what did you do? How did you do so far? It's not exactly what I had in mind, like wanted to say, but they're it's okay. Like surprise myself, which is always nice. It is nice to I think. yourself. It definitely is. Yeah. I mean there are a lot of like comparisons going on in my head to to like uh when I was back at uh school uh, doing philosophy and just for some reason when you're just seated and sit seated in class and and you've been listening to a discussion for like 20 30 minutes you just feel like you can articulate your thoughts a lot better and i like love that feeling when you just have that like clarity of mind to pick through ideas but my i just feel like <laughs> when I was discussing, like, say, Stoicism or Aristotle, yeah, I'm like, I'm not doing justice to the to the ideas. I don't feel like I'm giving the appointment or giving the best examples. I thought you did good. I mean, you gave me some stuff to go read, check out. <laughs> you explained it so I could understand it, and I'm no, uh, I don't know a lot about philosophy, so. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, that's the best thing to hear that, you know, you know what to do. <laughs> yep. Got some actionable <laughs> items to go uh, check out. So I appreciate that. Yeah. 
if you talk to any if you talk to any academics um in the near future just ask them for actionable items with respects to their whatever they're interested in or teaching because that that will really put them in an interesting spot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you'll, everyone, you'll can say, everyone can say, hey, go read this, go read this, uh, Google this, whatever. But until you actually like do something and feel it and touch it, it's it's just a, like an idea kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of a little bit tangential, but so like one thing that I've like been trying to do for a long time um is kind of like a self-exploration, just kind of like doing an archaeological dig of myself, going through my mind and like looking at my beliefs and my thoughts. And um, I was talking with a professor of mine like some time ago and asking him like, how do you do this? And like, what do other uh, people say about this? <laughs> and we basically came to the conclusion that like it's just impossible to do a really thorough self-analysis and he used this really wicked metaphor that stuck with me like just till today like he we were talking about like the nature of the self and and uh and i was like yeah like i just get the sense that it's this like Every time you're thinking, you're like digging a tunnel in your mind and you're like looking at like the other tunnels that you've dug. And he was like, well, I mean, it's like way more than just that. Like <laughs> he's like, like digging a tunnel, thinking that you're like going to the same tunnel that you were going to before, but then not even reaching that and just like going in some other direction and and i was like well that puts a pretty that, that puts a damper on self exploration and he's like yeah it really does <laughs> so i was like so it's pretty much impossible to like get a good picture of and he's like yeah according to like these people it's pretty difficult have you found any luck in anywhere else or is that kind of the uh mindset um it's really difficult yeah i think people take for granted who they happen to be because it's easy to take it for granted because the face of your life doesn't probably doesn't change very radical radically um on the daily you know who you're going to be around and the kind of things that you're going to talk to them about and the things that you have to do in some way you're like, Oh yeah, I have a good sense of myself. Like as it, as it stands right now. Um, but when you start to explore all the unexamined areas, it's almost like, uh, kind of like, I don't know if you've played Skyrim. Uh, Oh, Elder Scrolls. Yeah. Okay. So like, you could play you could play like the main quest in that game and you're like yeah like skyrim and i have a sense of it but like if you never want you wouldn't realize how crazy the world that they've created is just like it's all this stuff that's going on random shit that happens right and that's the kind of thing that happens say like if you 
like just lay in your bed for an hour and let your mind wander uh like just let all your thoughts like unpack themselves and you're like holy shit like this is what i what's been on my mind like this day and it's crazy and you're like this is who i am you're like but i mean then you start asking yourself like does really dizzying questions like all right, there's all this noise in my head, but like, where am I in all of that? Like, what's most, like, what's most me here? What's like the essential stuff? And I don't know. I I like to think that the essential stuff is always really moving because it's a lot of it's like set by who you happen to be in a, in a, like a context that you're currently residing in hmm. yeah, yeah, well, yeah that's, I, I think tough. it's pretty <laughs> i think it's pretty hope i think it's pretty hopeless to get like what i would call like a totalizing view on yourself hmm. um, yeah to just get like that god's view of who you are i think it's more like being in a, a thorn bush trying to find the center and you like think you found the center, but like in founding this and in, in, like finding the center, you've just moved the the bush around. So you moved the center. Does that kind of make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I ha- like how I view it. So yeah, I'm pretty pessimistic on that front. <laughs> okay. Well, I I guess I kind of feel like a lot of times like, oh, who am I? What am I doing? And I don't know if there's any tip to get out of that, but I sounds like it just is what it is to get out of asking yourself that question oh boy yeah i don't know how to like like i really don't know how to get out of that get out of asking yourself that that very cyclical question because i ask myself that pretty frequently even though i have like even though i just gave you my opinion on it um, I think, I think we, <laughs> um, I think language really betrays what we are, um, especially because we have to speak from, a. we're constantly speaking from a perspective where the self is taken for granted an existing thing. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, I think it does. It does. Okay. So like, yeah, whenever you say like, Oh, this is how I feel about it myself or, you know, just using the, using the proper, um, noun I, right. You're, you're putting yourself in a position, you're locating yourself and you're saying, this is, implicitly you're saying this is like who i am and what i think and it's that's part of our everyday discourse so we just do that pretty automatically and other people ask that like who are you kind of question pretty frequently that is probably on our minds because that's something that's deemed important to answer and it seems like i don't know if from my perspective, it's really hard to get out of that that um, circuit of questioning. 
because yeah. uh, it's something important it's something that's important to us culturally or societally and i don't know i think also uh i don't know there's certain from my perspective <laughs> uh there's certain like troubling concepts that we have very roughly formulated that are kind of incoherent when you look at them in really close um inspection like free will and uh just uh just our notion of the mind as like this uh a lot of us think of like um oh i'm this i in my head like the uh cartesian self and i stand above all of it and i think those are really embedded in our in our uh language and our practice and um it's really hard to in- disentangle yourself from that i think you almost have to live move to a different culture society adopt a different language yeah, yeah. <laughs> shun 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 everything that you're really familiar with mm. um because if you just stick with all the same stuff it's i don't know you might just stick in that cycle yeah it's like that perspective thing you were talking about earlier right yeah i I don't know. Does that sound like unduly pessimistic? I think it just sounds like what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. But you know, the funny thing is, and 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 I, I don't know. This is the sort of. I, I wonder how other people people can be so confident because, like, after this conversation. Like I'll like go home and like sit there in my bed and be like, wait, but who am I? And I'm like, damn it. Like I was just talking about like, that's not a good question to ask. And like, why am I still asking that question? And like other people will be like, no, I don't like, you know, like I know who I am and like, I don't ask that. And like, you know, here, here I am. And like, I don't know how people can present themselves that way. How like say other philosophers have like really like have a, just a lot of confidence in talking about like their ideas. I mean, I don't know. I'm at, I'm always catching myself in doubt about the things that I just said. Yeah. Yeah. That is, it's hard to wrap your head around someone saying this is the way it is. And this is the only way it can be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much flux and, and, and just my understandings of things and words. And I, I don't like when, uh, I think people get really used to giving what like amounts to a stump speech about themselves. And that's how they start to think of themselves. Um, and I mean, like, I know that I do that too. Like the whole beginning of creation was kind of like the rehearsed speech that I've given about myself sure. like a few times over. And when I like start that off, I'm like, ah, this is kind of, this is, has like a stale taste in my mouth, but I feel like I have no choice. Like it's just, <laughs> the are just there. I guess I'll go with them. Uh, <laughs> but it gets everything started. But, uh, I mean. Off of yeah, you're right. You have to have some like monkey grease to get it to to get the gears right. turning. But um I don't know, like just with the way that memory works and and 
how it's not so straightforward. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's, there, there's like a set of conversations that people aren't having about themselves where they talk about all of the things that they're just really desperately confused about. Like, why did I understand at this moment and not at this moment? And like, why do I feel like I know nothing at all when I like just yesterday was like at the top of the world? So, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm like, I admit that I have those days and that I could be, uh, like a heathen after this conversation and just be like totally unphilosophical. And I don't know why, like well, that, why that happens. I can speculate, but do you think that's just a human thing? Cause I feel like I have a similar kind of, I don't know if it's a mindset or way of thinking. Um, yeah, I think it's a human thing. Cause I, <laughs> I mean, just because I'm going through it, uh, that like, sometimes I'm like, uh, you, you start to fall into a solipsistic mindset and you're like, maybe I'm the only one going right. through this. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, and it doesn't help that other people don't really talk about it. Um, yeah, I feel... Yeah, I, oh, sorry, I, go ahead. I just think it relates to that nature that's like uh, as a thorn bush that's just asymmetrical and... and every single way i mean you look at it from one perspective and it looks entirely different than looking at it from a different perspective mm. so yeah I, I think it just comes it it's it it, it is um uh, inherent to being human oh makes me feel a little better <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know just like take a look inside yourself using whatever like mental tools or like whatever search criterion you want and just start following it. And it, I mean, it gets, it just is, gets weird and it, and the lot, and there's not much logic to it or the logic doesn't seem like, I don't know, straightforward. But what we asked something, it sounded like a really good question. <laughs> um, oh, I think we were talk talking about um, people not talking about things. Oh, yeah. And I was going to say, um, I don't know, do you find that, I don't know if it's our society or what, only talk about positive things? We, like, hide anything that's negative? Um, Maybe not, I guess, because I guess on social media you see negative stuff a lot but i was gonna agree with you in part and, and then qualify i would say that with respects to ourselves we try to only show the positives and then with respects to others we're a little bit more um a little less discriminate yeah yeah i think i agree with that yeah i, I think it's really i mean so, yeah, I, I, uh, I haven't gone on like a really negative diatribe in a long time. 
Like I used to do that every once in a while in high school with friends of mine. Um, like I have, I have like really good memories of my friend Sam sleeping over and we would just be in my basement. Like all the lights would be off and we'd be laying on the couch and I, we'd just be like talking and we'd just be talking about like everybody that we'd run into in the hall. And I'd be like, God, like I hate running into that person. They suck. Like they have nothing to say ever. And at the time I never really felt bad about it. It was like, like enjoying a really, it was like enjoying a dessert that I really have. Um, I haven't done it in a while though. I think my standards for criticism have taken, um, a notch or two up. Hmm. Um, I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe it's like ever since I started writing, I want what I have to say about people to be not very superficial. Hmm. That makes sense. What are you writing? Uh, I just write a lot of different ideas out. Um, Do you share? It's hard for me to just plan- like a journal kind of thing. A journal. It's a lot of it's yeah. journaling. Um, where I just write. S- if I get three consciousness, I'll just try to write that down as soon as possible and see where it goes. Um, Is that like a daily thing or just like, Oh, when you feel like it, it's you pick up the paper I, and go, you know what? I've tried to make it daily, but it's hard. Yeah. Uh, well, it's hard for like one very practical reason. And that's because I, got like carpal tunnel around junior year (laughs) and just had to stop writing because i would get really bad hand cramps and numbness and i just could not like grip the pencil uh anymore that's rough that's rough yeah 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 do you you get it (laughs) when you type too um or do you find writing is better than typing Less when I less when I type, more when I write. Okay. Um, I and I have a weird preference. Um, I like handwriting more than I like typing. Any reason? Um, yeah, there's a few different reasons. I think I'm actually faster um, with handwriting. I see. Um, I, typing has always been a really awkward activity for me. Um, I make a lot of make a lot of typos, and if I'm typing, I um, I have a tendency to think about what I want to type before I actually type it. But if I just write it by hand, like it just comes out, and uh, I don't worry too much about spelling yeah. or formatting. Right, I just like let it flow. Yeah. But yeah, typing really freezes me up, not only because I worry about spelling, but formatting is always one of those tricky things. Yeah, there's just more to the code. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 That's exactly yeah. It's too much to think about when I'm um when I'm typing and I can let my ideas flow a little bit more when I'm writing. Sure. Um and, and little like 
if I want to make a stylistic change, I can just make like a really nice little quick little note like in between lines or like use like a symbol that I understand really. But it's trickier to do that with typing. Yeah, totally. All right, Michael. Well, um, I yeah, this has been great. I've had a lot of fun. I want to be mindful of your time, so I don't want to keep you on here too long. Um, is there? I know you didn't want to cover anything specific, but is there anything else that you want to hit? Um, no. I feel I'm feeling pretty drained. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks I, for the time. That, I hope. Uh, I mean, I hope. This wasn't uh, just the run of the mill. Like, ah, man, this is forgettable. No, no, we. Uh, you answered questions that I had. This is great. Cool. Yeah, I I hate when conversations are forgettable. That's uh, it's something that's so easy to uh, to to um, come upon anymore. Like, you know, you lose uh, you lose the sense of um, value in your words. The words. I mean, things like, I love this don't mean as much as they used to. And I I really, that, that really grinds my gears. And when I can sit down and have like a good conversation as we just had and kind of get a return of the sense of the meanings of my words. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad um, it was beneficial to both parties. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Strangers in a Small World. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and send a review on your favorite podcast listener. If you want to reach out to us, check us out on Twitter at Strangers in a Pod, on Instagram at Strangers in a Small World, or go straight to our website and hit us up at www.strangersinasmallworld.com. On the website, you can find information on the show as well as links to everything we talked about in today's conversation. Thanks again for listening, and remember, although we may be strangers, we all live together in this small world.